I'm Victoria, and this podcast is all about running, marathon training, and run coaching. It is packed with useful tips to help you grow as a runner. I am a 13-time Boston qualifier and mom of two who started running as an adult. I learned a lot on my journey, and in 2014, I launched an online run coaching business to help other runners. Now, we employ several run coaches and are one of the largest online run coaching companies. We teach you the secrets to reaching your potential in the sport of running. We give real talk discussing personal stories of injuries, setbacks, and PRs. Think of this as a conversation with serial marathoners who share the lessons that we learned along the way. This is the Run for PRs podcast. When to start to develop pacing plans for your fall races. Fall racing season is right around the corner for all of us runners. It is that time of year when our minds are buzzing, thinking about all the potential outcomes of our fall races. We have worked so hard all summer long, putting in the mileage and running all of the workouts and long runs. It is nice to daydream a little bit about that reward that we will get on race day for all of the hard work that we have done over the training cycle and we've put in all summer. We have to remember that the joy is really in the journey to get there and the process to becoming a better runner that often makes us a better person in the process also. You really have to find joy in the journey, but that is not to say you shouldn't think about goal races and what sort of pacing plan you want. It is really important to have a pacing plan set for your race so that you can have a positive experience on race day. We have all had those races or workouts where we quote unquote blow up or run out of gas at the end of the race, and it can often be a negative experience. We want to chat a little bit about how we can set yourself up for success and have a positive race day experience where you feel amazing the entire time and you push hard the second half of the race and you feel very strong at the finish line. And today we're going to be chatting a little bit about how you can set goals and develop a pacing plan so that you can have that positive race day experience where you feel strong and you finish strong as opposed to crashing and burning at the end. So I have with me today Jason Philippi, who has been coaching for over a decade. He has worked with athletes at the middle school and high school level and college level, and then has also had several years of experience helping adult runners with the marathon and half marathon distance as well. So he has a vast um, experience training for any sort of race, the, the one mile all the way up to you know ultra marathons. So when it comes to pacing plans, Typically, we have a very similar approach when it comes to setting goals and how you want to pace most races because most races are aerobic in nature. So you really want to make sure you're 
going to pace correctly so that you can get the most out of your aerobic system. And we'll be chatting a little bit about that. So if we are ever chatting specifically about a half marathon or a marathon, a lot of the principles that we're going to talk about in this can also be translated into shorter distance races as well. Um, same with if we're talking about a short distance race, it can often be translated into longer distance races. The main goal here is that you want to aim for negative splits and finishing strong. And that's going to be a common theme throughout this podcast. So Jason, just kicking things off to start, when should you start thinking about your pacing plans? Is it ever too early to begin this conversation? Great question. I think most of us, when we you know, sign up for a race distance, we have this goal in our mind, right, that we want to achieve. And um, sometimes it might just be a couple weeks down the road. And for other times, it could be a whole training block. So three, four months um, away. And I think um, as the training block progresses, we get a better idea of kind of how our fitness is progressing and how our workouts are going. And it's always a good thing to kind of have the goal in the back of your mind. But as far as kind of identifying the actual pacing plan that you're going to target and execute on race day, I think it's best to to wait up until maybe a week or two before the race. Um, Anything longer than that, there's just still so many factors that can kind of get in the way. You know, the weather could change or an injury, something could flare up. And so I think it's best to wait. A lot of times with my athletes, I will um, start that discussion one week out from their goal race. Yeah, I think this is a very interesting topic and conversation in and of itself. It could be an entirely separate podcast. And I think we have chatted a little bit about, you know, how do you set goals for yourself? How do you keep yourself excited throughout the entire course of your training? Because obviously, you know, like me right now, I'm training for a marathon that's in three months from now. And when I think about how I want to feel on race day or what kind of my my time goal is, you like to kind of have that in the forefront of your mind sometimes just so that, you know, when you're running workouts, you can maybe visualize or it's something that pulls you through the training. And now you don't have to have like such an exact time goal, but I do think it's really important that athletes do have an idea of what sort of fitness they're in and what they should expect. You know, at the beginning of your training cycle, you should kind of know within 10 to 15 minutes, what sort of time you're going to be running in the fall. I don't, I mean, have you ever had an athlete where they sign up and it's just, they don't have that clear picture or maybe they, they're having um, just that whole expectation hangover where maybe they're signing up, their marathon PR is like five hours and they're like, um, can I run a 3.30 at the end of this training cycle? Do you ever have people who maybe their expectations are higher than kind of the, the reality of what can be achieved in one training cycle? And how do you help narrow that so that they can focus on something that's maybe more attainable and sustainable through one of the training cycles. Cause it's not like we're saying, no, I don't think you can shave 90 seconds, 90 minutes off of your marathon time. It's just that for most people, you will need to do multiple training cycles and give it just that time and consistency. Um, and I think that's really important to have that dialogue prior to the training cycle. So how do you approach that with your athletes? Yeah, it's definitely a tough um, situation, especially when we're talking about the marathon, right? Because there's not a lot of opportunities to race the marathon very frequently. Um, You know, when we've done our like 5K time trial series of events or the one mile series, it's you see a lot more um, cut downs, right? From where the person started to the finish. And that's because they get multiple opportunities to try to execute and try to improve upon their performance. Um, With the marathon, we're just relying solely on that training block and those workouts. And so 
when the expectation is really high, it can be, um, you know, it can be difficult. And I think just breaking it down and not focusing so much on the, on that, the top end of the goal, but more so on little things that they can do throughout the training that's going to, you know, help them improve as a runner, but also give them the confidence um, and work on kind of that mental toughness. That's more what, for me, that's more what it's about. And so some of the workouts I might prescribe to gauge that are um, progression runs, looking for those stronger finishes or just like consistent, like threshold workouts. And you can compare like the third or the fourth set to the first set and just making sure that they're staying consistent or they're running slightly faster at the end. Yeah, this brings up a really good point. And I know a lot of those indicators, like we're doing the progression runs, we're monitoring the workouts. And I spoke a little bit about how, you know, you get some athletes who come to us and they, they want to knock off 90 minutes in one marathon training cycle. And sometimes um, the expectations are so high and sometimes you have to like talk them down, right? And then other times you get people who sign up and uh, maybe I'll just use our one of our new coaches, for example, she... Uh, she's one of our new coaches, but she hasn't ran a marathon before. And she runs like an 18 minute 5k. And she's like, well, I want to run a 3:30 marathon. And it's like, oh, well in that case, you know, maybe you're setting the bar a little bit too low. And I never like to tell someone, Hey, like your bar is set too low because everyone has their own goals, but physically, you know, do you want to, you probably could shoot for something a little faster. It just depends on how aggressive you want to be. And I do think that we do get people who sign up who maybe aren't as confident in what they're able to do or they they limit themselves there. And it's not even necessarily that they don't want to go after an aggressive goal. It's that they physically do not think that the fitness is there or um, just mentally they're struggling to see themselves as that runner who can run you know, a fast time. And I've, I've seen this happen before as well. And, and sometimes I think it's just like this mental barrier where people, they limit themselves or they're like, well, I'm just like a hobby runner. I don't, I don't want to, you know, have that goal or that's not a goal that I want to achieve because I haven't been running my whole life and that sort of thing. So how do you talk someone up or do you even think that's maybe not <laughs> appropriate for a coach to be like, Hey, you know, you, you could actually do this sort of time. Yeah, it's definitely, um, you know, you have athletes on both sides of the spectrum, right? Those modest goal athletes, a lot of times the reason they don't, um, you know, shoot for a higher goal is because of the uncertainty. Maybe they're not very experienced at that distance. And so they're kind of unsure and they just want to make like small steady gains over time, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, that's, that's probably the reality for most people. But for some people, if they're just not super experienced, or they haven't ran like, let's say COVID was a perfect example because some people may not have ran a, a marathon or half marathon for like 18 months or even longer. And they were training super consistently. And so their fitness really has progressed quite a bit. And yeah, they could go and run a marathon probably 20 minutes faster. Um, no problem. And so I think just, again, it kind of goes back to the work that was done and figuring out, analyzing the work, um, using other key indicators too. If they did do any sort of shorter time trial performances, you can kind of use that to... Um, kind of get them excited and, and try to pick a goal that's, you know, maybe somewhere in between what their modest goal is and also what the peak or their potential might be. So it's somewhere kind of in between. And I think that that sets them up for success. Your pacing plan is obviously always going to um, be a little conservative early on as well, just to build in that room for um, allowing them to ease into the race and to assess if they're feeling good. 
Right. This is a really good point. And I think a lot of people listening could get something out of what we're talking about here. So just because you might be in 330 marathon shape physically um, doesn't necessarily mean you have to go after that 330, right? So if you want to chip away slowly at that time and you want to have a race where you build confidence um, or not go after such an aggressive goal where it's going to give you anxiety or you don't feel ready to chase 26.2 at such an aggressive of level yet. That These are all factors to think about when you're setting up these time goals. Um, so one example I'll give is in 2018, I was building up for my first uh, marathon race since having a baby. And it was my first kid. Um, and I hadn't raced a marathon in almost two years. And the the year prior to that, so, you know, if we're, if we're my marathon PR was basically four years old at the time. And I had tried before I was pregnant and stuff to, to hit a PR. And what ended up happening is like three marathons in a row, I ran slower and worse. And it was a very negative experience. So I wanted to go into this marathon. And I wanted to change that. I didn't want to have a negative experience. I didn't want to blow up. I didn't want to not feel good. And so when I you know started at the start line or as I was gearing up for that race, you know, as the race approaches, people ask you, what is your time goal? Um, and you know, it's tough because people can see your workouts on Strava or they can see what sort of races you ran leading up to that. And leading up to that race, I ran a 127 half marathon. I had ran a sub 19 minute, um, 5k. And so, uh, my fitness maybe indicated I was in about 305 shape. Um, like physically that's what I could run. The fitness was there. But for me, I did not feel comfortable going after that as my time goal because I wanted to have a strong finish. I wanted to feel good and I really needed a chance to do that on my own terms. And so I did get a lot of feedback from outside sources saying, hey, you should go after this time or just I felt that sort of pressure that I had to go after something that's bigger and better. And for me, it was all about, okay, where am I at? What am I comfortable with? And really what is my goal personally? And for me, the biggest goal going into that race was I want to not feel like I did the previous three marathons that I raced. I want to prove to myself I can have a positive experience. I want to negative split. And I think that that's almost more important going into a marathon than, oh my gosh, I really want to break the 330 barrier or like just having these arbitrary number goals. Because in reality, a lot of these round numbers in the sports of running, we get really fixated on that, but it's not necessarily uh, beneficial for us, right? So if we just get so fixated on, I have to go right under eight minute pace. Well, if your fitness and what you're really comfortable with is like an 805 per mile, why would you push it six seconds faster just so that you can feel worse or just so that it end, you end up like blowing up, you know? And, and so it's really hard to manage those expectations, I think. Um, Jason, have you ever had similar experiences where you feel pressured to run a certain time because you did a half marathon at a certain pace or people are, you know, putting pressure on you to maybe break arbitrary barriers that you don't necessarily feel like you're 100% in the fitness to run? And I think at the LA marathon, I know you kind of were set on like the 240 barrier and going out on that sort of pace, maybe made for a worse race experience and you didn't, um, adjust based on the weather that day. And do you think you would have ran better had you have 
just listen to your body a little bit more and not have gotten so fixated on that number. Yeah, that brings up a great point because thinking back to that year, um, you know, I underestimated just how hard marathons were. I thought, I thought as you do more of them, you're only getting more experienced and uh, because you're putting in work, that's going to, it's, it's almost like you um, automatically are going to run faster. And that is definitely not the case with the marathon. Um, it's, it's just very difficult. And there's, as we know, there's so many factors and I wasn't quite aware of the challenges LA that the course presented on that day. But, um, I think that I definitely went out a little too hot and, uh, my fitness, it was, it was decent, but it wasn't, it was probably equivalent to what it was when I ran my PR at 246. And, uh, I went out even faster, I think than when I ran the 246. So I, I just think I set myself up, um, to kind of fail later on in the race. And had I gone out a little slower, um, you know, I did finish in 257 that day. I probably would have finished in about 252 if I just went out slower. I just think naturally, I probably still went to PR, um, but just because of the course and everything, my training was very similar. And you know, a few, it was a few years after, and I thought, oh, after a few more 20 mile long runs, I should be stronger, right? So I should be able to crush the marathon. And it doesn't always work that way, especially since. I was sort of inconsistent in between there with um, other training cycles and, and doing different races and 5Ks and such. So uh, I just think people sometimes forget that, uh, you know, just because a year goes by doesn't mean you're automatically um, getting the, the, you know, the, the free pass to a PR and a marathon, especially. Yes, I absolutely love what you were saying there about how it's a marathon and just respecting the distance, even if you're a very experienced marathoner or just because you ran a certain time in the 5K leading up or you ran a half PR leading up or you did more 20 milers or you ran higher mileage, none of this is a guarantee, right? So it's tough because we really want to keep our ego in check when we're creating these goals. And I'll share just one experience. Um, 2015, it was right after I ran my marathon PR that that kind of stood for four years there. Um, I ran a 314 and then a couple months later I was like, well, you know, I'm this much more experienced and I've been running really high mileage. And, you know, when I ran 314, it felt easy and I deserve to run like this 305, 310. Like I was like, this is, you know, like I felt almost entitled to that time because I was like, 314 didn't feel that hard. And I've been putting in so many miles. Like this is my 11th marathon. I just felt a little, like when you start to get that cocky attitude, it's good to be confident. But for me, I was almost like, like overly, like there was something there that was saying like, Hey, you know, like this is really aggressive, but I didn't want to listen to that. Um, so I went out on this marathon and I was like, well, I'm just going to go out on pace for that. Even though, you know, part of me, there was like this little small amount of like doubt going on, but I just like shoved it down. I'm like, nope, I'm going to go out. I'm just going to run like seven or six fifty pace for as long as I can. Um, <laughs> and obviously as you know, how that plays out, I was at mile 12 of that marathon and I go, Oh my gosh, this is terrible. Like I'm not going to be able to hold this pace. So, and I was so embarrassed. So not only it's like, yeah, I could have kept running and I did, I did keep running. I didn't DNF. Um, I did finish the marathon. I was, I like ran nine minute pace, the finish. Um, I still ended up with an okay time, but the thing is, is that like it was a horrible experience, um, being passed by thousands of people. Uh, it's just not, it's not something that's enjoyable, right? So you want to have like a good race experience. Um, and I ran like just under 325 that day with going out aggressively, being passed by everyone. And I felt miserable and I was really embarrassed. And, um, I thought like everyone was like watching me and all that stuff. Uh, but then, 
fast forward, four years later, I go and do the same marathon race course. It was almost like I was doing it for fun. And my main goal is just like, oh, I'm going to have fun with it. And starting off slower, finishing faster, it's like I did a complete reverse of what I did that year and I I ran a faster time. Um, So it's just, it's good to make sure you're keeping yourself in check. And if you have like any, um, anything in your mind that's maybe saying, hey, like maybe let's keep the ego, ego in check. Like, yes, maybe you could run this time, but are you ready to do it mentally? Are you ready to do it physically? There's just a lot of things to really keep in mind. And some of the factors that I think we should be looking at when we head into these races, right? I think if, if we would have kept me in check, if we would have asked me these questions before I went out and um, tried to, to run that pace that I didn't think I was, that I was physically not ready for, we would have been able to say, hey, like maybe it's a little bit too soon to go after such an aggressive time. So some of the things that we might look at is, your racing history, right? So let's talk a little bit about how your racing history comes into play and just the consistency and how many marathons you've done. So in that example, it's like I was trying to run a marathon every four to six months consistently over time. And there does become a point there where it's like you're on a marathon hamster wheel. And until you start to do something different and allow your body a little bit of a break, you probably are going to reach a little bit of a stagnation, a little bit of a breaking point. Your body is asking for a break. And if you haven't really given yourself that, um, I wouldn't expect like anything massively to break through until you give it a little bit more time. And in my case, I think I was trying to shave like, I don't know, a significant amount of time off my marathon in less than um, three to four months. And really I didn't do anything crazy in between, but I was expecting a faster time. So talk to me a little bit about racing history. Yeah, I think it boils down to just how experienced you are with, uh, with each distance that you're talking about. So how many marathons you've done or how many half marathons you've done. And when, um, when you had your successful races and your blow up races or your, you know, not so good races, what, what factors came into play there? Um, what was the training like? What was your pacing execution like during those runs? Uh, how do you handle hills or heat or cold temperature? All of those factors. So I think that that, to me, when I think of racing history, that's what it goes into. It's not just about how many times you've done it. It's about all the different factors and how you've kind of overcome them and what factors were you successful with um, in terms of achieving some of your best best performances. Right. There are just so many factors that go into your racing history. And I think that's something that's really important to reflect on an individual level is maybe writing out what your worst race experience was and your best race experience and what made them your worst and your best and reflecting on those things and then trying to take as many of the factors from that best outcome scenario and put them towards what you're working for now. So when I think about what were my best outcomes in races, it was not hyper-focusing on every single split, going more off of effort, um, running something that I felt comfortable, confident and comfortable running for a time, um, and not obsessing so much over finish time, not sharing what my goal was with a lot of people. And then on the other side, like factors that maybe went into negative race experience for me, it would be um, really hyper-focusing on a time goal, going out um, a little bit too fast and having that whole like banking time mentality. Those are all just really negative experiences for me and just having too high of expectations or just having high expectations in general. Um, Because I'm someone that always likes to overshoot. So if I have a goal time, I'll be like, well, 
I want to run faster than my goal time. So I know that about myself. And now I will set goals that are maybe a little bit more achievable so that if I do go a little bit too fast or if I do overshoot my goal, it's not going to cause me to blow up in a marathon. So these are all things that you can reflect on yourself and then maybe share with your coach, chat with your coach, because each athlete is so different and how they approach their, their goals and pacing plans and everything like that. So it's important to really know yourself and then to share that with your coach if you have one. Um, and then another thing we did chat about was, do we have to set like the highest potential possible for our goal? So when you are reflecting on an athlete's training or just on your own training leading up to a race, how do you start to really narrow down the scope and say, okay, we think you're in this shape for the marathon. And when you do nail that down, do you have to go after that goal or how do you start to kind of bridge the gap or figure out, okay, I want to set a less aggressive goal than this, or how do you know if someone should go after that super aggressive goal versus maybe giving them like five, 10 minute buffer there? Yeah, great question. I think it boils down to, you know, the level of athlete and their experience and confidence and all these other factors that come into play, right? And you as a coach, you have to gauge all of this um, based on, you know, the short term you might've been, the short time you might've seen how that athlete responded to workouts and what you've learned about that athlete over the, over the course of working together and how they've performed in previous races. What I like to do is kind of look at um, setting up like an ABC type of goal. Um, and I always develop the plan with the B goal in mind for the most part. I'll, and I tell the athlete that I, the pacing plan is based on the B goal. So if you're, if you're feeling good and you're able to hit these paces or exceed these paces, you might end up closer to your A goal. And so that's kind of how I structure the plan. Obviously, um, the athlete should always be content with achieving their B goal because in the marathon distance or even the half, it's, it's, uh, typically going to, you know, the beagle is always going to reflect a pretty high level of fitness and it shows that they went out there and they executed and, um, kind of reached where I believe their current fitness is at. And a lot of times we know that in order to hit our highest potential, um, outcome, all the stars must align. Right. And a lot of times in order to even get to that point, we have to be very experienced. Yeah, that's a really good point. So, you know, your coach might throw out there like, here's your A goal, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to run that that time. And I remember specifically, we'll go back, you know, a decade here, um, training for indoor track in the 5K. My coach showed me what he thought, you know, I could run for my goal time. And I literally laughed. I, I laughed out loud. I was like, no, I cannot run a 2145 5K. I was like, that's laughable. I was like, ha ha, very funny. And he was like, no, I think you can do this. And I was like, absolutely not like that's just not in my my uh, wheelhouse and so I went out on that pace and I didn't hit my goal you know I ran like 22 30 and then it's like I tried again and I also didn't hit my goal and it was really frustrating because I was like well my coach is telling me I'm in this shape and I just cannot execute and it was really hard for me um, but eventually what I had to do is just kind of separate myself from that distance for a while. So I transitioned over into shorter distance stuff. I just totally forgot about all the 5K stuff. I didn't want to ever think about like a 21 minute 5K again. Um, and many people know how the story goes now. I've ran an 1836 5K. So it's just, I think some people, they they get really fixated on, okay, this goal, time goals. And when you focus so much on the time goal, I think it makes it almost like harder for athletes or just having such high expectations and like focusing too much on that. And I think if in the moment I wouldn't have been like, oh my gosh, my coach thinks I need to run this, I need to do this um, and put so much pressure on myself. I think if I would have just like not have known that my coach wanted me to run that time that maybe 
um, I would have ran better. But that's the thing is how would my coach have known that I was going to put so much of this pressure on myself? And I think this is where knowing yourself as an athlete really comes into play. Like if you are someone that always puts a lot of pressure on yourself, maybe you're just more like high strung. You just always are (laughs) putting more pressure on yourself than the average person. Um, Maybe it's better to kind of step away from those aggressive time goals or not really ask for the opinions of others, right? Um, Just kind of setting your own goals and focusing more on something that you feel comfortable with, right? Um, So, and then there's also the opposite end of the spectrum. I know you've worked with kids in high school who, uh, when you tell them the time goal, it just like lights up their eyes and they're like, oh my gosh, coach believes in me. I can do this. So it's really hard to know where you fall. But do you think that most people can self-reflect and understand what type of athlete they are? Or do you think that's something that comes more with experience? I think for the most part, I mean, it comes with experience, but I feel like most athletes, you know, the more races that they do, they start to feel more confident and comfortable with assessing like, okay, this is a realistic goal for myself. And I think it'll actually be more aligned to what their potential is um, after they've done it a few times. And, you know, this last year to 18 months, I know it was tough because not a lot of racing opportunities for people. And um, now that people, you know, and that's why I was always encouraging to do as many virtual opportunities as you can, just because then you're used to pushing yourself. You kind of know what that effort feels like and how that kind of maybe equates over into a pace or a time. And, and then you can have a kind of a, a baseline for yourself as you start getting back into in-person racing. Yeah, definitely. And I know this is probably a really exciting season for people because it's just the first time back. And that is going to be a whole conversation in itself, um, how how goals and everything might be different this year because there's that more appreciative side of, okay, at least I get to do this race, right? And, and having that gratitude. Um, and so maybe people won't be as caught up in the time goals. But I do know that that is something that's always in the forefront for a lot of people. And I think it's really important to remember that, you know, when my coach gave me that time goal back in college of 2145, I can still like see it written on the paper. I thought that if I didn't run that time, like I was either disappointing him or like it was reflecting on him somehow. And so there was always that pressure too. And I think something that's really important to remember is because now that I am a coach, I understand that's totally not the case at all. Your coach just wants you to have a positive experience with running, right? So a good coach wants you to be able to perform and for you to be happy with your performance, right? And so I would rather have an athlete run like 20 minutes slower than like their their fitness in the marathon if they have a positive experience, if they're happy afterwards, because our goal is to help people be runners for a lifetime, right? It's not just this one season. It's not just these five years or this decade. It's like, how can we get it so that you have a positive experience, so that you want to come back, do more races, and that you can learn something from every race that you do? And I think the more negative experiences people have in the sport, the harder it can be on someone. And I know for me personally, there was a stretch in there where it was like almost every single race, I was crossing the finish line and I was disappointed. This was probably you know six years ago. And runners can be really hard on themselves when they're not achieving what they set out to do, or maybe they're not reaching the level that they hoped because we all have those, those stretch goals, right? We all want to, maybe it's qualify for Boston. I know for you, Jason, for a while, it was like running a 240. And then let's just say, you realize, hey, like maybe this isn't in the cards for me this year, or maybe, you know, this is taking a lot longer than I thought it would to achieve this goal. And even for me personally, it's like, you know, I have goals out there that I've wanted to achieve for a while, but it does take a very long time. And every time I have a kid. It's like, okay, you have to take over a year to 
um, get back to the fitness that you were in and stuff. And so it can be a lot of this tick for tap. But the idea is that it's not all in one race. It's never, this is the end for you. We're always building and we're always working towards those long-term goals. So what is one way that you help athletes kind of see that we're in this for a lifetime and this is just one season. It's a speck of time. And my goal is to get you to continue in this sport and continue to find your potential. Yeah. Good, good way to put it. I always think of, you know, the every training and racing is like a a massive puzzle. Right. And so when we think about, especially elite athletes, uh, you know, they, they've raced probably, I don't know, hundreds of times and they don't get to the level they're at, um, without having some really tough experiences and tough races and, and, um, you know, less than ideal uh, race goals, uh, race times that they've achieved. So I think for us, we need to look at even a poor racing experience as a learning opportunity to figure out like, what could we do differently or what's the reason for the, you know, my, um, my race today. And so reflecting on, on all the races, um, the things that go well, you know, why did it go well? What did you do right? And then, um, just kind of learning to build off that and, sometimes, you know, like you said, if you get, if you're doing marathons after a marathon, you get stuck on that hamster wheel, it's good to switch things up and do different distances, focus on, um, you know, speed endurance, focus on threshold hills, all of that. And so I think, um, you know, all of, all of our experiences can just, just, they come, they come back and bed together and just build like a bigger puzzle over time. And I think that that's really the key to longevity in the sport and to reaching your success is getting those experiences and um, learning from the mistakes, right? And figuring out what can I do to have a better experience this time. Right, yeah. I love all of those focuses. And I think we've talked about, you know, the big picture when we're looking down, bird's eye view, okay, this is how we should approach things, understand it's a long-term thing. But when people are gearing up for their race, like let's say the race is coming up very soon and they're like, I need something more tangible here. I need to understand how to assess what my fitness is, right? Like if if they don't work with us or let's just say people are really curious when it comes down to it, there are four factors that I really look at in my own training cycle and in athletes training cycles when it comes to developing a race day goal. And those are going to be the workouts that you ran and how consistently everything was within the training cycle. So we're going to look at your key workouts. That's number one. Number two, we're going to look at your long runs, right? How many long runs did you get in? How how long have you been doing these long runs, right? Did you have a very long training cycle or was there only maybe one or two long runs sprinkled in there? Another factor is going to be your racing history. So we're going to look not only at the races that you did during your training cycle, but we're also going to take a look back and say, okay, how were other training cycles compared to this one and how did you perform? We're also going to look at, do you blow up in races? Do you, like, what are things we need to work on? So your racing history is absolutely huge. And then the last one is going to be your weekly mileage. And I think sometimes people get a little bit too caught up in these four factors and they think that there is a formula and there is just not a mathematical formula where you can go, well, you know, you ran 50 miles a week and you did these many long runs. Yep. You can run your goal time. And that's just really not how it works. It's a little bit more, there's that room for 
you know, they always say there's, there's the art and there's a the science and there's a little bit of an art to figuring out what sort of pace, um, pacing plan you should go after based on those four factors. So Jason, when it comes to looking at an athlete's workouts, cause I think that this factor is really my, the biggest one that I look at when I'm gearing up for a race. Um, I just did a race last weekend and going into that race, even though this is my, it was my first race in 17 months, I knew what kind of fitness I was in uh, because of the workout paces that I was hitting. And so I could narrow down within 10 seconds per mile what I was going to run on race day um, based on those workouts. So Jason, how does someone figure out what sort of fitness they're in based on workouts? Yeah, I like to look at that kind of comparing the um comparing i guess the discrepancy between shorter interval paces versus like longer tempo runs and seeing if the athlete's able to hit certain paces better looking for patterns right like are they constantly running like too fast on their interval days or are they struggling to hit those interval paces but they're doing really well in their tempo and their steady state runs and so just kind of getting a feel for that and then applying that knowledge to the race distance that they're training for and then kind of you know devising a plan in place that's going to kind of assimilate how they're doing on their workouts. Um, so if they're struggling to hold a pace for tempo, I'm going to start them a little bit slower and have it be more of a progression effort. But if they're showing that they can really be consistent, then I'm going to probably start them a little bit faster um, and just kind of keep them in that same pace range. And so that's kind of how I use, um, you know, and I use obviously training peaks to look at this because I can see all that data and the splits and everything. And it, it's very helpful to me. And I can look back at previous workouts too, uh, and a lot of times for like the marathon itself, I'll look back at the key long runs and long run workouts and I'll really, you know, take a bird's eye view of those to make sure that I'm getting accurate, um, you know, thoughts about what, what that person's capable of doing. Right. And I think these are really great points to bring up. And a lot of people, this is probably all new to them, right? Understanding, okay, I'm hitting this pace for a tempo, then this means I can run this, this type of marathon pace. But for those of you listening who maybe do understand, all right, yeah, I can run this pace for a tempo, so I should run this pace for a marathon. I think there becomes a point where an athlete becomes smart enough where they can start to try to hit certain paces in workouts so that it looks like they're in a certain marathon shape. And so when I go back to 2015, 2016, that's really what I became obsessed with doing. I knew that... You know, Yaz, those 800s, if I knocked out eight of those bad boys and I could do them right under three minutes, well, then it looks like I'm in sub three-hour marathon shape. And I know other people do similar things. Like, tempo runs are supposed to feel like you can keep going. Tempo runs should not leave you breathless. Tempo runs are not something that's that's a race. It, it's You do it for a purpose. And I did get into this bad habit, and I think some people do also have this bad habit where they start racing workouts. They, they turn it into something that it's not so that they can have this um, indication of, hey, you know, I'm in this shape. And that is a bad road to go down. So how do you keep people in check? I know with online training, it's probably pretty hard to know the difference there. Um, what do you do to make sure that someone doesn't go down that path? Yeah, that's tough too, because I'm thinking of a few athletes I've worked with over the years. And, you know, I even think back to myself when I was younger and I thought I had to hit so many miles of a long run at like the marathon pace. Because, you know, if I can't do it in 
a workout, how am I going to be able to do it on race day? And so I'll look at the balance, I guess. I look for balance in their training. Uh, are they someone that, you know, on occasion they let it rip a little on a long run, but they also are really good at scaling back and running easy because that's a sign to me that, okay, they're probably they're probably going to be okay. Now, if it's someone that always runs a long run, it's probably too fast, and it seems like they're always trying to validate the fitness that they're in, uh, I'm, I'm going to be a little skeptical of writing them an aggressive uh, training plan just because I, I don't, number one, they might be slightly overtrained, um, and number two, they may have, I don't know, anxious thoughts on race day, and I want to make sure that they're confident and calm going into the race. Yeah, there's certain things to me that indicate someone is maybe going down this path. Um, maybe comments will be made like, oh, I don't know. Like, I feel like I, I need to test my fitness. Or they'll say, I don't really feel like I'm in that shape. Or they they just will push the pace when, let's say they just ran a race. So you have a really good indication of what fitness they're in. You know their 5K pace. And then you prescribe a workout based on those paces. And they're just like hammering it and then maybe they blow up at the end and you're like well what happened and you're like well it, it got hard at the end and it's like well maybe you were going a little bit too fast there are some indicators there and some ways that I like to pull people back out of that is um, challenging them to not really focus on the numbers or maybe I just scale back their paces a little bit and you know if they ask about it I will explain like hey I think you're going a little bit too fast like we do need to really scale back because I understand you know if your easy pace ranges between eight and nine minute pace and you know you start running 758 and then your 758 turns into like 750s. It, it just is, it's a slippery slope, right? Once you start going down it. And usually um, it ends up with worse race results because you're burning yourself out during training instead of doing smart training where you're supposed to be, you know, training at 80% intensity, saving 100% intensity for race day. You end up just burning yourself out and you're not able to have that next gear on race day. And I like how you touched on the long runs already. So sometimes people also will think, you know, just because I did four 20 milers or I did a bunch of 20 mile long runs that I'm going to totally knock this marathon out of the ballpark, right? So how do we look at the long runs and how do we assess what sort of marathon fitness or half marathon fitness someone is in based on their long runs? Or is that something that you, it's just so obscure that you can't really measure? Yeah, I think it's hard if you, are looking solely at the long run. So like, you have to think about other factors too, like, you know, the consistency with their mileage and uh, workouts and maybe elevation, especially if they're running on like a hilly marathon course, you got to make sure that they're getting a fair amount of um, varying, you know, elevation changes in their long runs. And I'll just look, I guess, at the consistency, because I mentioned earlier, I go back and I'll look at especially like the 20 mile long runs, the 15 mile long runs, maybe with some pace work in there. And I'll look for patterns in their pacing. And if pacing looks pretty consistent and a lot of like uh, negative split finishes, I guess I would say, then I feel a lot more confident giving them uh, a little bit more of an aggressive goal. And if they struggle to hit the paces or, or they're uh, very inconsistent, um, then sometimes I might be a little more cautious and I'll start them a little bit more conservatively. Right, definitely. I think it's important to look at the whole puzzle of the athlete, right? So looking at the long runs alone, um, it, it could be, you know, anywhere, right? Like you can run two to three minutes per mile slower than your marathon pace on a long run, 
Whereas some people will go and try to hammer all of their long runs at marathon pace. So really that there's such a gamut there. And so it's important to look at all the pieces of an athlete. So I'd like to see how many long runs you've done, like how consistent you are. I think that's the more important piece. And then we also look at your workouts. So, okay, what type of paces are you hitting at your top end speeds or what sort of race results are you getting um, in combination with everything? So there really isn't a formula. It's more just how consistent have you been? How fit are you? And how much mileage in long runs have you been doing? And I think weekly mileage is another thing that's really important. Um, but again, I also don't think that there is like a... Uh, a causation effect. So if just because you're running 60 miles a week doesn't mean you're going to be like a sub three hour marathoner, um, or just because you run more miles per week, this training cycle than you did last does not mean you're going to hit a marathon PR. And I had been really fixated on mileage back in the early like 2010 era. Um, like I was slowly increasing my mileage from 2011 to 2015. And I saw PRs and all the distances. And so I was seeing that for four years in a row. The more mileage I ran, the faster I became. And I took my marathon time down from 409 to 314 over those years. And I've really got into that mindset of, okay, I just need to run more miles. And that's what I did. After I ran 314, I was like, I'm just going to keep running more. But eventually there becomes this point of diminishing returns. And so I was running more mileage than I ever had. And I was running slower time. So I was like, well, I guess I just need to work harder. I guess I just need to run more. And I assumed that running more would equal some sort of like faster time or eventually it would pay off. But in reality, there is quality and then there's quantity. And you want to make sure you're doing the quality work. Um, it's kind of like the whole thing of, are you really, are you just working? Or are you, are you busy? Or are you being productive? Right. You want to make sure that you're actually being productive and doing things that are towards a goal and not just kind of frantically doing something because you think, oh, you know, it sounds good or it's more than I did last time. So this has got to work. Um, cause that's not necessarily the case. So talk to me a little bit about weekly mileage. Do you find that sometimes people want to run a certain mileage because it sounds good or they think, you know, in order to be cute, I have to run X miles a week and they get really fixated on that. Speak to me a little bit about that. Yes. I would say this is probably one of the most, um, you know, apparent things that I find with some of my athletes along with setting unrealistic, you know, goals is, is just the need to want to run a certain mileage total per week. And, um, you know, I've had a few athletes that been able to kind of reach common ground with. And so we figure out what is that sweet spot. And, and, um, typically we, they, they do fairly well and they're consistent. I've had other athletes that kind of push back a little bit and they want to, they want to just toe the line and go a little bit past what I say. And then they end up either injured or burnt out. And I, it's just, it's just tough because I feel like sometimes you're going to get more out of your training. If you just do slightly less and you're able to you know, do a four mile recovery run instead of five or six or one extra rest day every, every other week. I think that that can go a long way. Um, and not feeling the need to always run uh, super long on the long runs on the weekends. Like if it's a cutback weekend, we can just do like, I don't know, seven or eight. We don't need to run 12 miles for a cutback, a long run, um, for most, you know, levels that the athletes are at. So I think that that is definitely a challenge as well there is this obsession about the number and feeling like, oh, I need to be averaging at least like 45 miles a week or 60 miles a week, whatever it is, to feel like I'm in shape to PR. And um, and maybe they did do that in their last PR. And so now that that's what they think they need, right? Um, and then there's a the flip side. There's athletes that maybe didn't do so good in their previous marathon block. This is a very common one, by the way. 
And it's because they didn't do enough long, long runs. So they need to do more 20-mile long runs. And, and there might be a little bit of um, truth to that, but there's no, like, it's, it doesn't just mean, like, okay, yes, just because we automatically add in an extra one or two 20-mile long runs that, you're, you know, here's your free ticket to a PR. It doesn't always work that way, you know? No, that is such a good point. And I think this is something that so many people struggle with, especially now that Strava's around or like Instagram. And even yesterday I got a message on Instagram on my personal page and someone was like, have you ever had a stress fracture? And I was like, oh no, I'm so sorry that you're going through this. I've never had one. Um, And she was like, you're just like my inspiration. And I just wish I could run as much as you. And I just felt like totally heartbroken, devastated because I was like, oh my gosh, I hope that people are not looking at what I do and saying, hey, like I'm, I'm going to try to run like sh- how many miles she is. Because when you don't have a reference point for really what you're looking at online, it can it can do damage. Like, right. So, I mean, she was looking at my training and thinking I want to run like her. And maybe I don't know, maybe she was trying to like copy my training, so to speak. And that ends up in situations that, you know, maybe you're getting a stress fracture or maybe you're not reaching your potential. And I've definitely been there. I've never had a stress fracture, but when I got caught up in that mileage trap, there was a couple of weeks where I was like, yeah, I think I need to run like 80 miles a week. And <laughs> like, I don't even know where, where that, how did that even happen? You know, I look back and I'm like, that's insane. I was nowhere near, um, the level that I needed to be at to run 80 miles a week. I'm surprised I never got hurt. But the fact of the matter is my race times did get hurt, right? Like I started running slower. That's when my slow marathons ha- started happening. That's when I started running slower than I ever had. Um, but I was working harder. And so that is something that can happen. So just because you're not getting necessarily injured or burned out doesn't mean that your body is going to, you know, enjoy all of this extra work. So you really have to be careful as to, are you training smart or are you just like being frantic about certain things? And I think the smarter you can train, the better you're going to feel on race day. And the more you're going to have on race day in terms of energy, excitement, all of those things, it's always better to be slightly undertrained than it is to, you know, toe the, the start line way overtrained, like way overdid it. Um, and sometimes less is more, right? And, and there's always that delicate balance because obviously sometimes people do have a problem being consistent and, and you do need to do the training, but you always have to ask yourself, how much is too much, right? Like where is that line for me in the sand? Like at what point do I start to see less results um, than I do benefits, right? So those times where I was running 80 miles a week, I was running times in like the three, three, uh, like the 330 range. And then, you know, usually when I run closer to, to 50 miles a week, I'm, I'm running in the three, three teens for marathons. So you just really have to be careful because it can be a slippery slope to go down. So that's something to look at um, and ask yourself honestly, like, hey, did I run the right mileage? Um, and, and ways you can tell if you're if you're running good mileage is if you feel good, right? You feel better after a run. Um, you are hitting faster times in workouts. You're feeling like you're improving. You're hitting faster times on race day. You feel like you have stuff in the tank. Um, you're feeling excited for the race. Some signs that maybe you overdid it is that you don't ever feel like running long or you're getting really like anxious before workouts or long runs because you're treating them almost like races. And so your body knows like, Oh, this is going to be really painful. Um, those are some signs. Other signs is just like not feeling confident in your race day goal or just feeling really like 
not excited to go race because you kind of feel like you've been racing this entire training cycle. So you just might not be feeling it as much. But one way that you can kind of overcome all of this, like let's say the damage is done, right? Or whatever, as you're approaching race day, is think about more how you want to feel on race day. So regardless of what you did this training cycle, maybe you made some mistakes, maybe you weren't as consistent as as you'd like. When it comes to setting those goals and knowing what type of fitness you're in, reflect over your training, um, all the paces you want to look at and then establish your goal. But also look at how you felt during your training. Look at how you felt on races that you've done recently and try to figure out how can I get a positive experience on race day. What are going to be the key factors there? So Jason, when it comes to setting those sort of non-time-based goals, what are some ways that athletes can guarantee themselves a more positive experience on race day? Yeah, I think it starts with identifying maybe things they haven't done so well in the past. Uh, For example, running the first mile too fast or, um, you know, struggling to finish strong, things like that, or mentally just kind of giving up when when it gets difficult. And so I think um, just reminding them of um, things that they can do to ensure a better experience. And, um, you know, when I send a, uh, an athlete their pacing plan, especially for like a marathon, I always leave a note in there about how uh, it's important that they don't get discouraged if they go through rough patches during the race because this is so normal, I, I think, especially the longer the race is. Um, and that doesn't mean that the race is going to continue to feel that hard the entire time. I can't tell you how many times I've gone through even 5Ks or half marathons where, you know, you, you second guess yourself, you question yourself, especially if you're like going up a hill or into the wind or you get dropped from the pack. And it's just like, just take a deep breath, focus on uh, regrouping positive thoughts, um, you know, keeping those, those positive mantras and uh, just focus on what you can control in that moment. And don't worry so much about the outcome and just focus on what you can do to get through it. And um, it kind of, to me, it, it's about, you know, when you were talking about those athletes that um, always want to kind of do more and they're worried that they're not doing enough, I just caught, I just want you to think about, um, don't focus so much on what you're not doing or what you could be doing, but just focus on what you're doing and um, convince yourself like what you're doing is enough and you're trusting the process and that's going to help you feel good and have a good, you know, experience on race day. Right. I think a lot of it does come down to that mental aspect of training and, and making sure you're having more of a, a gratitude mindset and a positive mindset than focusing on maybe what you didn't do or, oh, you know, I ran that 20 mile and it felt really hard. If you're having those sort of thoughts as you head into race week or head into the taper, that's not a good mindset and that's not a good um, like thought pattern to be having. So if your thoughts are, oh, that 20 mile felt really hard. I don't know how I'm going to be able to hold the pace on race day. We have to flip these things and we have to make sure that our thoughts are more positive. Like, hey, you know, my 20 miler was really hard. And then framing it up like it was in the middle of peak training. I did two quality workouts that week. Um, I was really stressed from work. It was a really hard run because of the weather or because I was alone and, you know, thinking of all of the things that made that run hard and then realizing, you know, I'm going to feel so much better on race day because my legs are going to be fresh. I'm going to be able to have more glycogen because I, I carbo loaded and thinking about how something that maybe appears negative can actually be turned into a positive or thinking about workouts like, oh, I totally bombed that workout during the training cycle. Like there's no way I'm going to be able to hit this pace on race day saying, you know what? 
I did have a few workouts that were hard during my training cycle, but what I learned from that is that I should not go out hard because I always feel better on those workouts where I ease into things and I'm just going to listen to my body a little bit more. Whereas you can really just get down that rabbit hole of spiraling negative thoughts like, oh, I'm not in good enough shape. I didn't hit 60 miles a week. Like, remember that one week I just felt awful. I'm like, how am I going to do this? Like, you can't have those type of thoughts. And so I think the biggest thing going into this race is be confident in what your abilities are, but also thinking about that mental side of things. How are you going to talk to yourself in the days and the weeks leading up to that race? And on race day, how are you going to handle those, those feelings of stress, those moments of doubt. And you have to have something in your mental bank to go after and, and reframe any sort of negative thoughts because all runners have those moments of doubt and those negative thoughts. But if you practice this and you practice reframing things to making it either a neutral or a positive, that can be totally um, a game changer on race day. So it's really important to remember those things. Do you have any final words of wisdom for people who are setting these race day goals and for how they should feel on race day or coming up with pacing plans? Well, kind of what you just said, it made me think of a podcast I was listening to recently where there, I I forget if it was um, Sarah Hall or somebody, some elite runner who was breaking down the the race in their mind and, and just focusing on one mile at a time. So they're like, if I can just get through this next mile, um, and it just really kind of brought things to perspective for me where you go through those rough patches in your races. And uh, again, it's just kind of disconnecting from the big picture and like the doubts and just focusing on like maybe slowing down and relaxing your breath and your breathing. And then, or maybe focusing on like just keeping good form. And that can kind of help some of that, some of the, those negative um, thoughts and try to help them dissipate and just focus on regrouping. Um, kind of gaining that confidence back that, you know, you, you know, you still can salvage a pretty good race here or you can still finish strong. So I know a lot of what we talked about today is, um, you know, mindfulness, but also the mental side and thinking about your pacing. And uh, I just think that it, it's something that evolves over time. And the more um, difficult experiences you have with workouts and races, I think that you can learn from, from those experiences and um, can be less likely, I think, to repeat those mistakes. Yes, definitely. Some good words of wisdom. And I know we've chatted a lot on this podcast of various topics, but it is really important to focus on that mental side of things and understanding that with each race, you're going to become um, stronger. You're going to learn something from it. And thinking about all of the ways that you can measure success that aren't necessarily, you know, time-based goals. That's really important going into things. And maybe this is a lot of information and you just want some help analyzing like the analytics behind your training. You know, like let's say you ran a certain pace for this workout or this workout and you want to know physically like what sort of fitness you're in because a lot of this was more abstract and we didn't really get into the nitty gritty because everyone's paces are so different. Um, We do use a VDOT calculator for all of these things. But sometimes even using that can confuse people, right? So if you really want someone to do a deep dive with you and kind of review your training and you're not already working with us, we definitely do that. So if that's something you're interested in, we would love to set up a consultation call with you and help you with these final weeks and developing um, race day goals. So if that's something you're interested in, you can fill out the form on our website, www.runforprs.com. You can fill out the form there and you can get connected to a coach right away. We always do a free seven-day trial and we can get you on with a phone consultation and get all of your questions answered. We would love to help support you in any way that we can. Again, that's www.runforprs.com. So thanks for tuning in.